Hi, this is Joe, popping in at the start to say we have a bit of a special episode this week. Chris and I spent the last 10 days at the Toronto Film Festival, and on our last night we roped in guests Nick Davis and Nathaniel Rogers to talk about the films and the performances that we'd seen. We recorded this episode a bit on the fly, so as you will immediately notice, the audio quality is not our best, there's an echo, and some of the voices are pretty quiet. We apologize for that, and just know that we will be back to our usual standard of audio next week. Still, we think this was a fun and freewheeling conversation about the movies that we were all really excited about at the Toronto Film Festival, and we hope you'll feel that way too. So enjoy this. It's a bit of a special, and we will be back to the usual next week. Thanks. Uh-oh, wrong house. No, the right house. I didn't get we want to talk to Marilyn Hack. I'm from Canada water. Hello and welcome to the This Had Oscar Buzz podcast, the only podcast that has been awarded the Grolsch People's Choice Award, yet still no Best Picture nomination. Usually on This Had Oscar Buzz, we would be talking about a different movie each week that once upon a time had lofty Academy Award aspirations, but for some reason or another it all went wrong. However, this week we are coming to you live from our Airbnb in an undisclosed location within the back alleys of Toronto, Ontario, Canada, to bring you our on-site reactions to the major and minor Oscar contenders that screened here at the 2018 Toronto International Film Festival. I am your host, senior writer for Decider.com, Joe Reed. I am here, as always, with my co-host, entertainment writer, Chris File. Hello, Chris. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm great. You know, you mentioned that usually we're talking about an actual movie, but also what listeners are probably familiar with now, we're usually recording this separately. That's right. We're in the actual same room together for the first time. It's this super is... weird. It's not like I'm usually just hearing you i know seeing you i'm gonna just be staring at you creepily i know listeners may also notice a certain echo in the room but that is also part and parcel of getting us together in the same room we'll be back on our usual qualities of audio next week apologies for that if you have issues with the audio please you know just fly with me next year and bring like (laughs) more professional equipment than the microphone that i brought (laughs) We also, though, besides our Echo, we have brought some other special guests this week. Uh, we have with us our two companions in our Airbnb this year. We couldn't not be happier to have them with us. Creator of the film experience, Nathaniel Rogers. Hello. Hello. So good to have you here. This is sort of our like inside-out film experience podcast. We sort <laughs> yeah. of pulled that, uh, pulled that apart and put it back together again. As if we were drifting past a black hole. I'm very blessed to be the Katie Rich in this equation. <laughs> uh, we also have film comment contributor. How else do we, would like? How else would you like to be welcomed to the podcast, Nick Davis? Barry Jenkins, life partner, <laughs> um, Northwestern professor. He sat Barry down. Barry Jenkins, life partner. He sat down at the Princess of Wales at the Roma premiere, and they hush 
that sort of like the whispers that sort of cascaded down the row of like Barry Jenkins is here, Barry Jenkins is here. It was yeah, quite... Joe and I were twenty feet away from Barry Jenkins during Roma, and I thought I was going to lose my utter shit. And one of my very first thoughts was, oh, his tweet about this movie is going to be so good and so like, like warm and gracious and like the type of tweet you'd like to take home to your mother. <laughs> I mean, basically, if, yeah. If you were only twenty feet away, I have to know how were his glasses. Oh, I mean, oh, signature, <laughs> like, a singular, sensational. <laughs> All the S yeah. superlatives. I, I didn't see his face, but it was like, you saw the glasses and you knew. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, Chris and I, are just now back from my final TIFF film. You are staying for another day. I'm staying for another day, and I'm seeing at least two. I'm going to try to add more, but we just saw High Life. The Claire Denis science fiction film starring Robert Pattinson and Juliette Binoche and Juliette Binoche's braid. Juliette Binoche's long sex braid mm-hmm. and Robert Pattinson's handful of sperm and there's just a lot of bodily fluid in this A movie. lot of bodily fluid. I also text a friend immediately after leaving and said when, uh, when Juliette Binoche got horny from air conditioning, I felt that. I felt that. That's in a in a stuffy Airbnb where <laughs> the air could circulate a little bit better. I feel like we could all agree on that one. After a week and a half of Toronto, that has been weather changing back and forth. That is true. When I, when I feel a seething resentment against Joe because I specifically tweeted a new hashtag called "Bring Me a Higher Light" <laughs> just to make you happy. <laughs> I didn't notice and that. Has it been uh, acknowledged? No. I will now acknowledge it because so you know. And now you've seen it. You didn't know if that was a spoiler or not. That's true. Have been crazy oh, if Shaka Khan had showed up in High Life, that would be the only thing I would have needed to like really put me over the edge. I am still stuck on the sex braid. I want to know: Is this Claire Denis' remake of Avatar? Oh my god! I mean, if, if it's masturbation, yes. Um, I could have seen Claire Denis seeing Avatar and being like, "I have an idea," and have it be this movie, <laughs> <laughs> and everybody else being like, "Huh." I really, really enjoyed this Toronto Film Festival. I have to say, it's one of the better lineups of movies. I think either I was real a lot better at picking my selections, mm-hmm. or the I think we got some really special movies this time around. We got some special movies, and I feel like. I got way more... This was my second year, and I feel like I got way more surprises this year yes. than I had last year. Yeah, I think that's true. Both for positive and negative, which makes, I think, talking about these movies a little bit more interesting. Yeah, I think before we get into the movies, I want to talk about my... Maybe my favorite tradition of the Toronto Film Festival, which is Nick's reviews of the pre-roll entertainment. You're welcome. Every year, <laughs> every year for especially for the public screenings, we get a smattering of ads, a... Uh, an ad for TIFF itself, a uh, tribute to the volunteers, but most importantly, L'Oreal Paris uh, graces us with their presence. Nick, how did this year rank um, uh, uh, compared to other years for the Well, L'Oreal's never going to equal, much less surpass, the Claudia Schiffer one from 2014 <laughs> that I called Lip Lash. <laughs> it was so exciting and percussive, and things were smashing into other things. But this was better than the one last year that was full of people. Like the voiceover saying, like, you can be unique, and that actually meant Asian or distinctive. <laughs> like, oh, that means black. Okay. Like, this year was a L'Oreal's little, tribute um, to diversity. A more on it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, they were, there was very girl gang. It was very uh, night on the town with a hint of violence in the air. I enjoyed it. And fringe. That. Don't forget the fringe. A lot of fringe. We should have called it Destroyer. Yeah. <laughs> called it In Fabric. 
You could have done a lot of things. <laughs> there was a lot that could have been. are made of light. There are all kinds of titles that could be repurposed. Well, speaking of repurposing titles, my running joke that I think quite literally only I find funny is Nick saw Frederick Wiseman's Monrovia, Indiana, where apparently it was cut, the L'Oreal ad was cut from the pre-roll. So my whole joke all festival has been Frederick Wiseman's L'Oreal Paris. Would watch. Would, would definitely wa- watch. Would watch every single second of that. Are you kidding me? Like, I want a soup to nuts examination of the L'Oreal business from animal testing down to <laughs> filming the commercials <laughs> and everything in between. Down to the person whose job is to scalpel the diagonal. <laughs> yes. Like, <laughs> to the person who has to teach Heidi Klum how to pronounce L'Oreal Paris for whenever the seasons that it's sponsoring Project Runway. So if we have not given you enough of the tiff ephemera about these pre-roll ads, if you were not attending the festival this year, please go back and find Nick tw- Nick's tweets on those because they're quite little gems that will give you a perfect picture yeah, we'll of link, what those ads are. We can are. link to those on when we post on the Tumblr. On the Tumblr. I'll figure out how to post tweets on Tumblr. Yeah, we'll figure it out. We got it. Fall down the rabbit hole of social media. So this week, because there are four of us here in the room and we are recording this in the wee quiet hours and I have to be on an airplane shockingly soon from now, um, we're going to keep this one to a relatively tight roundtable. We're each going to go around and say what our picks are for the best film at TIFF, the best performance we saw at TIFF, the film we were most disappointed by, and finally, our predictions for whose post-TIFF Oscar buzz will fade before the nominations. We're getting closer and closer to like the class of 2018 of this had Oscar buzz movies. Oh, I can't wait. And we could very possibly have seen one yeah. already here at this festival. Yeah, oh, absolutely. I think we've seen at least a few. (laughs) So, Nick, why don't you kick us off with your best film pick for the festival? Not just because he's my life partner, but If Beale Street Could Talk by a mile. It was not even close. Yeah, I really enjoyed If Beale Street Could Talk. I I think I came into the festival having heard sort of whispers that it was not all that we were maybe hoping it was going to be from some advance. Oh, yeah? Yeah, there was like some bad whisper campaign stuff. I don't know where it originated, but uh, there was... I think the fact that it didn't play Telluride, I think there were some rumors going around that there was a reason for it, that that was maybe not up to snuff, but that fully got blown out of the water. Or the reason that it didn't go to Telluride is because Toronto pushed really hard to get the world premiere for it, and it really paid off. Yeah, I was at the world premiere screening for it, and it was just completely rapturous in the room. Everybody was just in awe of that movie. What I want to believe is that you wouldn't debut that movie to people who paid $230 uh, a ticket to be <laughs> on the top of a snowy mountain. Yeah. Like, I mean, Moonlight isn't about those people either, but right. like, there was, you know, and it's not like Toronto only costs $5, but still. There's a difference. There's yeah, this is a definitely like people's festival. And like mm-hmm. that movie Certainly is comparatively nothing, not so. for the people. Yeah. Best in show in that uh, film, and if that's not going to spoil your best performance pick. <laughs> Can I say my yeah. best in show that's yeah. not a performance of that movie? I will say Nicholas Bertel's score oh in that gosh. movie is I loved it. absolutely next level for me. Yeah, I thought that was really good. I will just also shout out the one scene, Brian Tyree Henry is in one scene in that movie, and I could have watched a two and a half hour movie um, on that character. I really, really enjoyed it. He's really He showed up in that and Widows, and I thought he had a really great festival just on those two movies. Nathaniel, what were your thoughts on Beale Street? Well, I'm... <laughs> oh, you're the outlier a little yeah, bit. Yeah, I'm yeah, the yeah. outlier. I'm a little ashamed to... I wanted to love it so much. Yeah. I did not love it. 
people who do not love Carol are wrong. Let me just preface. <laughs> Man, we're going back a couple years. This. Yeah. But the most common complaint I heard about Carol over and over was it's happening behind glass. Uh-huh. I can't connect to it. Right. And that's actually that complaint, which was wrong, let me reiterate, about Carol. Now you are saying it is correct Now I'm saying Street. it's correct about Infield Street, which I did like. Yeah, because he's in prison and behind <laughs> glass. That was actual glass. Oh, maybe that explains it. Just I do think that's an interesting comparison, though, Nathaniel, because I do think that there will be some people that won't be able to connect to this movie because the movie is very much about... The experience of being in love and putting you in kind of that emotional space. And what are you implying about my no, romantic no, history? I, I'm not implying it about you. I'm just saying that I think there's going to be people that go into it with a different expectation of what this movie is going to be. Um, and even though it's very faithful to the novel, the novel felt a little bit more plotty. Whereas this movie has whole stretches where it's just these two young lovers wandering New York City and everything is just beautiful and Barry Jenkins puts you in the mood of what it's like to be in love and I don't think that's necessarily going to be something that resonates with everybody. There's a thing about New York City in general and like this is a very specific story about a very specific time and you know people in New York City but there's a thing about the city where you sometimes wander around looking for a place to just be alone with somebody if I always feel like like dating is always an odd thing because you, nobody has cars and everybody's just sort of like trying to negotiate public spaces for private moments and I thought this movie speaks to that yeah. a lot and sort of connects that to a cultural and kind of historical mm-hmm. it's in the con- I mean yeah because it's in this context where their love is so pure in and of itself but in the world it's so volatile there's no because, space for it yeah yeah and like they're reminded of that harshly in some ways. Nathaniel, what was your pick for best film of the festival? Uh, I'm gonna go very mainstream. Yes. Uh, my pick is The Star Is Born. I mean, it was a lot of people's pick for best of the festival. <laughs> it was quite the popular, populist choice for yeah. sure. It's and I don't know why. Laser. Yeah, I, I don't it. know why I keep having to preface everything I'm saying. <laughs> why I'm apologizing. No apologies. But I unbow your head. <laughs> <laughs> well, and also the thing about a festival environment is you are kind of just like reacting in the moment because everything is shoved against a dozen other movies. Right. Too. Yeah. And in in that respect, I think sometimes crowd pleasers play, play very differently at festivals. They're oh, kind yeah. of like almost a relief because you're seeing so many art films in a row. Yeah, absolutely. Um, which is why I love to mix in things like one animated movie at festival. Oh, yeah, totally. Um, because it's a nice palate cleanser in between um, yeah. things. But A Star is Born just worked for me on every level. I was not expecting it to, so I didn't go in with super yeah. high expectations. Were you worried about the hype? Because we had, I, I was seen worried it about the late hype in the festival, and also a Star Is Born, the 1954 version is one of my all-time favorites. Right. So I was very skeptical. Who stars in that one again? Judy Garland. <laughs> <laughs> I just wanted to see if your like head would like pop off and like bounce around the room. I didn't even know you had that. Night. <laughs> <laughs> to what Nathaniel's saying, I do think. I'm a little worried about this movie because the festival response to it has been so over the moon, and mm-hmm. I do think that the, it is a movie that benefits from diminished expectations. Mm. Except- I think it so plays really well. Like, this is going to play like gangbusters. I'm sure our listeners are going to love the movie, 
but even my expectations were diminished a little bit and I feel like the experience I had was so guided by not expecting to have especially that emotional experience because I'm such an easy lay to cry at movies yeah. and it's the only movie I've cried at at the festival oh wow that's interesting isn't that weird it is um, I'm not going to call you weird but I'm just going to say that's a little bit odd um, not that you credit that, that you haven't credited other things. Like I would because uh, I'm me. But, yeah. but I do want to go back to the expectations things because this always happens to Oscar Oscar buzz movies, especially. Oh yeah. That expectations plays in so much to how people react. To well, them. because they get seen in sort of waves, and yeah. you can't mm-hmm. help but sort of like experience other people's enthusiasm, and then yeah. like the movie in your head becomes like yeah. So but I will say that about about expectations for a star is born. I think. The fact that it's a remake and the fact that everybody goes in with some preconception of what it's going to be mm-hmm. yeah. is actually something the movie understands. Well, and I yeah. think because right from the first, like Gaga's very first, like 15 minutes, she takes on the ghosts of Edith Piaf, right. Judy Garland. Right. She actually mm-hmm. sings. Shangela, all of the. Yes. <laughs> she, sing, she sings a bar from with. From somewhere over the rainbow, she sings the intro that's yeah. not in all versions of the song. Yeah, and and Barbara Streisand because there's a little conversation about her nose. Yeah. Oh god. I mean, so she's just that, yeah. throwing the legends at you. Yeah. And just mm-hmm. and like with utter confidence, like she's gonna hold up against all of them. Yeah, I think that's true, and I think the fact that even beyond the f- the actual story of A Star Is Born, which you know comes up in ways big and small in that movie, but like that is a fairly, like, that is a story we've seen in a lot of contexts, mm-hmm. right? And I think the movie does some smart things in terms of, like, it's not reinventing the wheel, but, like, it puts some different color on some things and puts some different spin on things and just sort of doesn't feel like, even though it's not going to surprise you, it's not trying to, like, it's not trying too hard to, like, be so different, and yet, I don't know, from, like, I thought the the rapport between Lady Gaga and Bradley Cooper feels refreshing in and of itself. I think they have such an easy chemistry with each other. I also think it's interesting that of the three movies about uh, women rock slash pop stars that we saw, Lady mm-hmm. Gaga was by far the most like subdued and relaxed. Oh, yeah. Of all of them. Mm-hmm. Like, it's... You would have expected... Because she does come she across... She kind of... That's intentional, though. Oh, absolutely. Like, but I mean, like, as a pop star, she comes across as a little bit... You know, as a tryhard. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's the Anne Hathaway of pop stars. <laughs> but I... I think she pulled it off really well by not going for this kind of over-the-top... Well, we've had this conversation. Some sure. of our favorite moments in the movie, which we won't spoil and you really couldn't because you'd have to explain a lot of context. There's yeah. two moments where we feel like it's pretty clear she flubs a line and yeah. just keeps going and with it. And she plays through and it's it. it's so great. Yeah, I think it's... And I think that's, like, indicative of the movie itself, too. Yeah. Where I feel, it feels like Cooper did a good job of put, making the atmosphere there feel pretty relaxed. Chris, what was your pick for best film? Okay, so there's... Quite a few options that I could have, but I think, sadly, the one that stands out the most, oddly, is the very first movie I saw, which is Paul Dano's Wildlife. Um, I really like that movie. It's really, really great. I think that's a really um, easy movie to undersell because it's just kind of this period domestic drama about this family going through a separation between the mother and the father and kind of parental pretenses breaking down. Um, 
in the face of this dissolution of the marriage. Um, and it's led by Carrie Mulligan as the mother who initially, you know, puts on the expected face of a 50s housewife. I believe it takes place in the 50s or it might be the early 60s yeah. in Montana too. So it's very traditional values. And when her husband, played by Jake Gyllenhaal, ends up going to the mountains to fight fires because he can't keep any other job and this is like his calling to be like a pure person or however whatever bullshit reason he yeah, comes I was up say, with face that, saving maneuver yeah, yeah it quickly weakens her defenses and she becomes very frank with her son who is probably not ready to deal with that but at the same time she's very self-aware of it yeah um a lot of it goes to like carrie mulligan's performance and i don't want to talk about that too much because we're talking about the best film um I like the way that Paul Dano and, and Dano and Zoe Kazan did the screenplay. Yes, together. they did. And they did the screenplay for a movie called Ruby Sparks a few years mm-hmm. ago that did not fully work for me as a movie, but I liked the fact that they seemed to have an idea behind it, even if it didn't fully come across, where they're like, we're going to take this sort of romantic comedy idea of this kind of manic pixie dream girl, sort of mm-hmm. idealized, and yet not, you know, woman character who has no agency, and they turned it all around and I think there's something to what they kind of do with the domestic drama here too where it's just like we're going to take the surface of you know single mother doing it all and just like really sort of push through it to its most and it's not very conceptual at all because like Ruby Sparks is very conceptual right. this is a very straightforward drama that just yeah. plays out so beautifully that like it's hard to explain what's so great about this movie without sounding overly simplistic or boring, but yeah. at absolutely no point is it that. Yeah. I think it's complex on all fronts, and Carrie Mulligan is doing several things at once. Um, she's great. It's the best she's been in quite a while. It's the most she's gotten the chance to do in quite I a think, while, too. I think it's the best she's been ever. I yeah. agree. I absolutely um, I agree. agree. Not that we're supposed to be going into performance. <laughs> no! Like, yeah, but I also love it. the movie. So yeah. I just reiterate, I mean, you're, you're, what you're saying is absolutely true, but it's really hard to explain well, why it's good. And I've talked to people who don't think it's good. And yeah, I'm, I have too. And I'm kind of mystified because even though it is a very traditional movie, it's so good at what it's doing. It's, I think it's the best version of what this movie is um, in a lot of ways. Um, I, the movie that I kept thinking of a lot in regards to it's just very effective at what it is doing, even though it's a very different movie, is Todd Field's Little Children. Oh, that's interesting. I could see that a little bit, yeah. I feel like if... I kept thinking about mermaids plot-wise <laughs> because it, this really is sort of just like what if Rachel Flax were a harrowing, dramatic story? Mm-hmm. What if her story was sort of harrowing and dramatic instead of delightful? As yeah. But when is? aren't you thinking about the plot of Mermaids? Fair point. <laughs> that is a fair point. I am never not thinking about Mermaids. That is very true. So yes, Wildlife would be like my gut pick. I feel like it's on the same level as a lot of other things. And yeah. You always feel a little guilty when the first thing you see is that was the case for me last think. year. Though the first thing I saw was "Call Me by Your Name," and that stayed my number one throughout the festival. Yeah. So, my number one this year was my most anticipated movie going in, which again, playing the expectations game is sometimes a little bit dicey. But mine was "Widows." I just had the best right. time at "Widows." I thought it was right. so entertaining. I thought it was so many great performances that I loved, and 
I don't. I think it's deceptively difficult to do a crime drama that way that feels pretty like fat free, pretty like guilt free, and still feels like you're getting the big entertaining moments and sort of getting to roll around in these actors playing these kind of dastardly parts. I think Viola Davis is so good. Elizabeth Debicki is so good. Colin Farrell sort of, you know, dancing around that Chicago accent yeah. <laughs> in a way that I find very, very fun. Um, I don't know. I just found it like, I can't wait to see that movie with a big audience again. Like that Absolutely. is one of the great things about seeing a movie at a film festival is you see it in this like huge room full of like-minded individuals and everybody felt very on the same page with that movie and that was a great experience. I will say for the experience of Widows here at the festival is that there's, I mean, you go to all of these screenings and, you know, people are hustling between movies. They may be like literally back to back that their movie starts five minutes after their last one ended or like they're running off to write or they're running off to interview somebody but rarely do you feel like this energy in the room that everybody is so friggin' amped for the movie. There are and like, Widows was probably the most palpable energy. In there the are like two or three plot out. developments in Widows where everybody in the audience seemed to be like, <gasps> yeah. like at the same time. And again, these are this these are audiences audiences that feel like they're very you know savvy to these kinds of things and. I was seated between Joe and Nick listeners, and I was so tense in this movie. <laughs> You're going to so, break this microphone if you tell this story. I was so goddamn tense during this movie uh, that, like, it cuts away to a police siren at one point, and I leapt out of my skin just because there was the sound effect of a police siren. <laughs> I laughed that's how so hard at that. I thought that was... But I think, again, that's, you know, indicative of what Widows was doing, I think, to a lot of us in the audience. The energy you're talking about from your screening is interesting to me because you went to the press and industry screening. Yes. I was at the premiere yeah. the night before, and it had the same yeah. energy. I mean, and that's that's a more common energy at premieres yeah. because people aren't running to and from screenings as much. Right, yeah. They're there for that specific mm-hmm. experience. But, but, yeah, I mean, when they whenever you go to one of these premieres, they generally seat... Uh, the movie starts in one particular section and yes. the spotlight goes on and then at the end everybody can applaud. Yeah. So people stayed through the credits, like even though they weren't gonna speak to us, it wasn't a Q and A. Yeah. People were just like cheering. And... My favorite version of that is at New York Film Festival when they'll turn the spotlight because the the talent will be up in a balcony mm-hmm. and they'll sort of like wave from up on the balcony. It's very Evita where it's yeah. just sort of like <laughs> up at them and we sort of applaud up. Um <laughs> Uh, Chris, what was your pick for best performance? Uh, best performance is, is another movie that I very easily could have picked as one of my favorite movies from the festival. We saw it earlier today, so it's like I may have some recency bias here, but I'm going to say Elizabeth Moss in her smell. I'm jealous of this pick. I, I this pick. I tweeted that her performance was like Linda Blair performing Axl Rose in like a Chekhov play. And, like, that's quite what it is. I mean, the movie is directed by Alex Ross Perry, which if listeners have seen any of his movies, they're very um, kind of bifurcated in that there's always a second act that's very different from the first act. Right. That's very true to this movie. Um, I think a lot of the more showy stuff for what Elizabeth Moss is doing when she's this addict rock star who is just like a real demon and like has these long spewing monologues where she's just 
saying all of these diatribes to people that are from another planet. But then in the second act, um, which to not spoil too much is a downshift, which when you see a lot of these movies, I think that deal specifically with addiction and deal with artists, you see a lot of tropes of like certain types of emotions. And this kind of worked directly against that. And she did specifically. Um, and I think in the last hour of the movie is when she's doing something really, really special. I think she, well, I think that third act really takes sort of what you remember about the first act, the tension that you remember from the first mm -hmm. act, and the hope for her to pull through from the second act, yeah. and she, like, spins it around, and she's a, yeah, she's a demon in this. She's absolutely insane. I love her. If you I talk about surprises at the festival, I mean, this movie definitely was probably the key surprise for me. Yeah. Um, I wasn't going to see it up until a couple days ago. I think I got convinced I moved my by... schedule around and ended up being able to see it, and I'm so glad that I did. Yeah, me too. Um, because I absolutely love the movie, but Elizabeth Moss is <laughs> very arrested by some kind of spirit. <laughs> yes. Promise me, Mama, when I die, have the coffin arrive half an hour late and on the side written in gold letters of the words. Sorry for the delay. I will say about Elizabeth Moss, I mean, I think some of her best work has been working with Alex Ross Perry. I'm not a huge fan of hers, and especially recently, I feel like there's a lot of sameness in the performances she does, and this was not the case for this performance for me. Yeah, she's um, fantastic. And like you mentioned, she's very like funny sometimes. It's like she will outright scare you in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah, you think she's going to do harm it. way more often than yeah. she actually does harm. <laughs> um, my pick for best performance uh, from this festival was Melissa McCarthy in Can You Ever Forgive Me? Oh, Ooh. I love that movie. I think she's... Ooh, we felt something <laughs> in the room. <laughs> I honestly just, I love that movie so much, mm -hmm. and I feel like there's... I think I've been waiting for a really great, like, Melissa McCarthy, like... This is this. There's still a lot of comedy in this movie. I yeah. bet you, if you know, we're playing the Golden Globes game, it's a comedy. They're gonna categorize comedy, but like, there's some heft to it. There's mm -hmm. some, you know, character to it. She plays uh, Lee Israel, uh, a real life celebrity biographer who was caught fabricating letters from famous people, and it's a very sort of like standard, like petty criminal gets in too deep and tumbles down the rabbit hole. But she and Richard E. Grant play the sort of you know, lesbian and gay man best friends in the village in the early 1990s. I've been and telling everyone that it is my favorite representation of queer friendship on screen in many a moon. It's very true. That it's a very interesting friendship that they have. And I think we're expecting Melissa McCarthy when sort of things go bad for her to just sort of, you know, tumble face first down into whatever kind of embarrassment this character goes through. And she does to a point, but like you really feel it with this character where... You know, she she wants to be better than what she is, and she struggles against it, and I think she has some really great scenes with, I think, basically everybody in this movie. Like, there's, I think she plays off mm -hmm. of, you know, Jane Curtin has a really great scene with her, and I don't know. It was, for an actress, I've loved so much in comedies, in, like, straight-up, like, pulpy comedies. Um, I was sort of proud to see her dig into something. And it's just such a good crowd-pleasing movie. I really loved it. We I'm excited it. to hear that, too, because 
many, many, many more people should still see The Diary of a Teenage Girl than Yes, Mariel Heller. In which mm-hmm. every performance is perfect. Yeah. Um, and so I don't know why I haven't been investing more confidence in the trailer for this. Yeah. The trailer really undersells this movie and what it is. Yeah. Yeah, the trailer really was flat for me as yeah. well. So, like, I didn't... I wasn't expecting anything. I haven't seen it yet, but... Yeah, hi- highly recommended. It opens in limited release in October, listeners. Run to that movie. Yeah. Uh, Nick, what about you? What was your best performance? Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit. Uh-huh. Um, the only... And talk about small performances. Yes. Um, the only perfect lead performance I saw was Bradley Cooper's. And yeah. The Star is Born. Um, but I'm going to take an inspiration from Nathaniel's annual Film Bitch Awards for the mm. sort of single yeah. sceneers. Love a good single scene performance. Um, and there have been a lot of expert ones. So Bradley Whitford in the middle of Destroyer yes. shows up and not He's only kind of turns on the whole movie, but also gets Nicole Kidman's performance up to where I've kind of been hoping it might be mm-hmm. for a while. I agree with that for sure. Um Christopher Abbott, whom I always love, has a scene in Vox Lux where he has to interview yeah. an incredibly challenging protagonist. Who's one of the most believable journalists I've ever seen. Totally believable. <laughs> and also, like, got her to perform in a really interesting way, I yeah. thought, in that scene. Um, and then a movie that's coming out probably right around the time that this podcast comes out um, called Monsters and Men that I really hope people go see, which was my first movie of the festival that mm-hmm. has really stuck with me. Um, branches out of a police shooting. John David Washington is perfect in it as one of the leads. Um, but the women in this movie, which is a movie about men and masculinity, um, it's not just doing like standard, well, it's a movie for a few men. Like it's about masculinity in really interesting ways. But the right. women knock it out of the park. So Nicole Bahari, who was exquisite yes. in Shame yeah. a few years ago, um, has to play the black wife of a black cop who's not doing enough in response to the shooting of a black man by a white cop. And she only gets about two scenes to do that. And Amanda Warren, who had to like stand next to Frances McDormand and be like, "Girl, oh her, yeah." Three billboards. <laughs> that point, hear you hissing, listeners. Whatever. Um, she gets one scene to come in and grill John David Washington as just part of a procedural interview, and she can't break from script, but you just feel her getting more pissed. Um, she's a really interesting actress. So those were those were great candidates. Ah, oh, love that, Nathaniel. What about you? What were your picks? Well, I, now I have a challenge because yeah. we've already <laughs> talked. To, uh, I think the two best performances I saw, we've already talked about Bradley Cooper and A Star Is Born, yeah. and uh, who I also would. I mean, I was blown away. And yeah, you absolutely. know, for me to choose a man as the best. <laughs> I know this is growth. This and is that uh, that insecure gif of uh, <laughs> what's her name from uh, who was in Love Simon, where she goes growth. <laughs> it's gift, growth. Which I love. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, it genuinely to me was the most exciting. Great, just great in the movie, and uh, then Carrie Mulligan, who we've also already discussed. Yeah. Um, so rather than go with Nicole Kidman, who is too expected, <laughs> um, I want to. Um, Why I, was that expected, Nathaniel? Why no, were you I, picking Nicole? I want to talk expected? about. I, I, I'm going to also cheat. I want to do pairs. Okay. Oh. And I have two pairs I want to talk about. The first is Nicole Kidman and Russell Crowe in Boy Erased. Okay. Um, that movie is good, better than I expected it to be. It's no great shakes. Yeah. Like, I won't be upset if it doesn't play that well with Oscar. Yeah. Um, but I think they are really, really fine as the parents. Like, they really, really sell the emotional arc of the movie. I think the movie would be much better if they were actually the protagonists. 
I mean, and I think given the audience that the movie seems to be pitching towards, where it feels yes. like this is a movie for any parent who may even a little bit be considering, yeah. you know, sending their kid to one of these places, like that sort of more so than pitching it to a gay audience. Yeah. But I mean, parents need to hear this shit too. So yeah. Yeah, I, I thought they were both great. I thought they both did really good accent work, and and uh, Nicole sometimes is a little iffy on her. Yeah, accents. this was the uh, American gay <laughs> drama by way of Brisbane or whatever. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> uh, but I thought she like her accent work was better than it often is, yeah. and I just thought their rapport as a married couple was very believable, as mm-hmm. well as that they individual individuated. <laughs> it is now. They individuated their relationships to their son yeah. completely well yeah. and and as a unit, which I think is trickier to pull off as an actor than, yeah. than it probably appears. There's a scene in that movie with her and Hedges where he gives her this sort of questionnaire and he kind of passive-aggressively is like, they want to know all about our family history, like fill this out. And she comes back later and she just sort of has this snarky comment about just like, um... What she, she oh she's because uh, all the choices are like mental illness, homosexuality, drug addiction, and one of them gang was gang member. gang affiliation. Yeah. and she's like, she, she's like I wasn't I wasn't a gang for a while, and then they threw me into the slammer for dealing drugs, and I was like, Nicole, wait to like it's she sells it in that such it's like that mom way, and that like mom's making a joke kind of yeah. way. She's yeah, she gets the corniness of a. And she mom. also gets the flamboyance of that actual mother who mm-hmm. was at the festival. And, oh yeah, and is an even bigger character than yeah. Nicole. Oh, that's interesting. In yeah. The movie. yeah, she's very funny in real life and very loud. Um, so Nicole, if anything, Nicole was very restrained in playing that character. And then the other pair I want to talk about is the same actor, Chow Dang, in uh, Zhang Yimou's Shadow. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. He plays uh, both the protagonist and. And a supporting character who's sort of in hiding, who he's who he has stolen the identity of on purpose. But they're both played by the same actor. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Um, and so they're both aware that he's stolen the identity. They're doing it sort of in unison, this plan. Yeah. So that's, and he just—it's like at first I thought it was two different actors. Yeah. Because he's playing completely different tonally. Yeah. Like, one is, like, so outlandish, he's trying to be as big as the production design and costumes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And the other is this very stoic, like, traditional, like, heroic, silent, silent and strong. Yeah. And it was such a great contrast, and when I finally realized that they were the same person, because the makeup jobs were, were so different and yeah. everything, I was like, oh my god, it's the same actor. And it was just like, I enjoy movies that are fun. Yeah. And I think movies that are fun are underrated. I thought yeah. this was really fun, and that performance was really fun. So I just wanted to say that. Oh, that's excellent. I like that answer. I like. That are there any plans answer. for that movie to be released in the well, states? Well, Zhang Yimou usually gets distribution. Yeah. Um, but I haven't heard about this one. Yeah. But since he usually gets it, I sooner. Or later. I'm assuming 2019. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. That's a good assumption. Um, we're gonna go into most disappointed. The movie that we were most excited for that didn't do it for us. I have a couple... I'm just going to really briefly mention Hold the Dark because that uh, is the new Netflix movie from Jeremy Saulnier who did Blue Ruin and Green Room and I was hoping there was going to be something in the color of red or perhaps yellow or orange in this. But, burnt um, Sienna. Right. This, Hold the Burnt Sienna doesn't roll off the tongue. Exactly. But. So Jeffrey Wright plays a wolf expert who has to go up to Alaska to, to kill a wolf that has 
uh, killed uh, Riley Keough's child, and the movie becomes... It's a lot of, like, mystical wolf nonsense in the way that, like, a lot of movies set... Uh, in the way that a lot of movies have mystical wolf nonsense. I mean, it, like, but a lot of movies that are sort of set in that, like, northern sort of, like, creepy oh. hinterlands kind of thing, like, the wolves have, you know, whatever. Um, There's choral sounds in the score. Yeah, it's just, it's not very good. But the one I wanted to bring up, because I've been mentioning it to everybody, is... I was looking forward to this movie out of uh, out of blue as a Patricia Clarkson sort of star vehicle because I do love Patricia Clarkson. This is a terrible <laughs> film. It genuinely is a terrible film. I've been calling it the worst season of True Detective ever, which is true. I think Nicole Kidman in Destroyer is the best season of True Detective ever. So, <laughs> um, no, what did I say? It's the best season of Bosch ever because it's not quite True Detective. Like Destroyer is very like meat and potatoes cop drama. Um, but we're not talking about Destroyer. Uh, Patricia Clarkson in Out of Blue is so fucking like that whole movie puts her in such a bizarre milieu and everything is just strange and there are like philosophical metaphors and also cat metaphors and also we love an animal metaphor we love an animal metaphor on this podcast that's true Um, fedoras and James Caan not looking like James Caan and Mamie Gummer talking about Dark Matter and Stardust. So I'm forced to ask. Yes. Are you genuinely disappointed? Because when a bad movie, bad movies are disappointing. A yes. genuine fiasco. Well, this is the thing. Is is delightful, and you have been this like bobbing on a sea of joy for the three days since you saw it. I think that's the thing. Is on the level of I wanted this to be a good movie. I was absolutely, I definitely was disappointed. But like from the ashes of that disappointment arose this like. Schrodinger's Phoenix of uh, <laughs> they mentioned Schrodinger's cat so much in this movie you guys I can't even deal with it um, yeah like the Phoenix of oh god I hope this plays in theaters so that I can bring every friend of mine to go see this with me <laughs> and just scream at the screen because it's so preposterous it's yeah I, I kind of don't want to give away anything more because if it plays in your city don't ask questions go that first weekend because it won't make it to a second one just like <laughs> see it while you can with as many people as possible um alright that's words we didn't even say about a star is born <laughs> <laughs> they all know to see a star is born I think that's going to out a second yeah I yeah. think that might do it <laughs> maybe Nick what were you most disappointed by um, the good movie I was most disappointed by was a documentary called Angels Are Made of Light um, by the same guy who made Iraq and Fragments that is one of the best documentaries of the last many years that was up for an Oscar in 2006. This is about Afghanistan. Um, and it just wasn't um, sort of interesting or paradigm shifting or surprising either yeah. in what it told us or in how it told the story. Iraq and Fragments is really challenging in both of those ways. Yeah. Um, but a bad movie that I was disappointed in, you should still see Angels Are Made of Light, it's just a little more run-of-the-mill. Yeah. Um, I'm really disappointed in Mia Hansen Loeb's Maya. Um, and I'm disappointed yeah. because the reasons I don't like it are so banal. Yeah. Um, but so is the movie. Nick and I saw this movie together, and there were several points where we just kind of looked at each other. <laughs> and I would kind of think that anybody who's going to make a movie about a white Western guy who's going to go to India and find himself transformed by an Indian younger woman, she's like 16, would only do that, and especially if it's Mia Hansen Lowe, would only do that so as to circumvent all the bullshit that mm-hmm. usually attaches to a premise like that. And I will give her credit that I think maybe what goes wrong in this movie is that she is so sympathetic to all of her characters and all of her movies 
that she can't bring herself to critique this guy or this yeah, relationship. Yeah, I agree. Like, so at least the errors come from a, I guess, good place, but it's just such a gross miscalculation and it keeps getting worse. To a certain extent, the movie kind of realizes that it's about cultural tourism. Like, a whole chunk of it takes place in an Indian hotel. Um, but, again, to your point, it's it's kind of an icky movie. Um, which is weird coming from Me and Handsome Love. So my two takeaways from this are that everybody needs to read their Darjeeling Limited pamphlet that says, <laughs> if you think you need to make a movie about India as a white Westerner, you, you don't do that. That's yeah. a bad dude. Like, there's nothing good that's going to happen from that. And also that, like, we all need to check ourselves on the internet when we get all high horsey about, like, well, why didn't this movie get booked for this festival? Because I know it's ready. And, like, sometimes that movie's bad. Yeah. And sometimes it's by somebody who's only made good movies, so that's hard to accept. And we all wish more women were programmed. Um, this movie's Take bad. all the time you need, yeah. Mary Queen of Scots. Only come out when you are ready. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't rush out on our own Stay account. in your stone fire pizza until you have risen. <laughs> what if it came out and closed while we were here? <laughs> it is not an unfinished it. life. That yet. would almost be a sweet mercy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Nathaniel, what were you most disappointed by? Um, I would say uh, Colette. Yeah. Which I believe is opening right now. I think like this week. Yeah. Um, it only in that it's just also it's just kind of generic. Kira like Knightley what, plays uh, an author. Yeah, Kira Knightley plays Colette, a right. famous author. And because I love Colette, and uh, when I don't, for anyone who saw the Michelle Pfeiffer movie Cherie in yeah. 2008. Everybody, um, cross your bingo cards. <laughs> <laughs> for Michelle Pfeiffer or for Cherie specifically? <laughs> you might have two separate That's squares. That's a double word score. Yeah, check your cards. Yeah, you have, have you, yeah, have you had an episode on Cherie yet? No. Yeah, have you on. You you real, I need to be a guest star. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, because Cherie did have Oscar votes. Yes, sure did. <laughs> so anyway, Colette wrote Cherie and The Last of Cherie, and she wrote Gigi and uh, other famous stories. Very right. famous writer. Right. And her life story is super, super fascinating. So my thing with biopics is if you're going to make a biopic, make sure the character's fascinating and yeah. not just a typical like rise and fall of someone who's famous. Right. So she's basically an ideal person to make a biopic about, and then the movie just kind of yeah is there. That's too bad. That's a bummer. Because yeah. I have heard things at Sundance, but I guess she was ahead of her time, and like she had uh, relationships with. Uh, well, the movie suggests uh, it's a trans character. She refers to this character this character as he. Uh huh. And corrects other people when they refer to the character as she as yeah. she. But the character himself sp still answered only goes by a female name. Oh, interesting. So it's a little, you know, confusing if they're modernizing it or if the character actually. I'm not sure. Right. Um, Whether you're going by the mores of the time or yeah, yeah. Right, but there's all this like meat in the material because yeah. Colette was so bohemian and so ahead of her time, yeah. and it just like the movie just doesn't do anything interesting with any of that. Yeah. Two quick questions. Tell us about the hats. Well, and that's the other thing, and I, I hate to disparage costume designers, <laughs> but the costume design is not exciting or interesting, and it's about Colette, of all people, so I'm just like, how? Yeah. How and, and why? Does Kira Knightley become Colette? 
<laughs> Third <I> just... question. <laughs> is this not at all about the making of Clock Watchers starring Tony Collette? <laughs> that also would have been an amazing documentary. It would. Actually, a, a biopic of Tony Collette called Collette, I would line up oh, for. would watch. Although probably wouldn't cast Keira Knightley. <laughs> and you know, if you're really going to make a biopic, do it not as like the greatest hits of Tony Collette. You need to do a slice of life Tony Collette, like before she books Hereditary, where she's been doing all of these weird comedies that nobody's ever seen. Where she's entertaining. Where, she, where, where she's she has no over lines. it and she doesn't want to do this anymore. That's the Tony Collette biopic. That's true. Uh, Chris, what were you most disappointed by? I'm tempted to say Destroyer because. I don't think it was good, but I still feel like I'm unpacking it, even though I'm not unpacking it in the way that I think I'll land positively on the movie. Um, and I don't want to see anything but good come to Karen Kusama. Not skateboard related. I'm just going to put it out there for my worst movie of the festival as a disappointment. Um, Laszlo de Mesh a few years ago arrived with Son of Saul, um, which I think blindsided everybody as this really conceptual take on um, one man surviving the Holocaust. And he <laughs> came to... His sophomore feature is Sunset, which is World War II in Budapest. A, World War I, right? World War I. Pre-World War I a, in Budapest, a woman who was orphaned returns to the city to try to reclaim her family's hat company, See, they're the hats. They're all Colette's hats. Yeah. They, she, I mean, she had to say something. And, I, I mean, like, I feel like this is just another grand leap at concept that absolutely fails in every yeah. way that Son of Saul worked. My Twitter joke was that it was like watching cats, like, stare aggressively at each other for two and a half hours, because that's quite literally what happens in large sequences of this movie. Tom Cooper listening to this and, like, scribbling down <laughs> Absolutely. I would, I would love to see... Angry, jellical cats. <laughs> I'd be super into Laszlo Nemesh's cats. Oh, my God. <laughs> Each cat with, like, a camera, like, following in tight, like, around. Yeah. Yeah. But, guys, this movie is bad. It is Hungary's Oscar submission. I wouldn't be surprised because he already has an Oscar if he makes, like, the first long list. But after that, it is toast. Like, in the... I keep describing this movie as in the way that Son of Saul disorients you in, like, the space. This movie completely disorients you narratively, to the point where you never know who she's like just randomly going up and talking to because there's a thread but you can't really follow it because you don't know who yeah. these people are it's kind of like watching someone play like a role-playing video game where you can just go up to any town's person and they know all of your business but like you don't know who they are <laughs> but mysteriously like they know about your parents crimes so does she get to unlock levels of this game? Basically, this no, whole movie one level. This movie feels like a weird side mean. quest. Um, Legend of Zelda. Legend story of, of the Hats. Yes. <laughs> that's that's Sunset, and it is bad. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about who's Oscar buzz now after this festival we think will fade before nominations happen. Nathaniel, why don't you kick us off? Um, well, we're not talking about whole movies, right, but specific Oscars. Either movies. one. Either a movie or a performance. Or... Whatever stands out to you. Yeah. Okay. The only reason I'm going to say this one is because history has taught me to fear this. Yes. I worry about Ryan Gosling 
in First Man. Mm. Interesting. I think the movie will get a lot of nominations. Oh, I don't. I don't think its Oscar buzz will fade. It's going to be so full up in all the technical categories. It's going to be amazing. And it's also very good. Oh, I think it's very impressive. Yeah, uh, we haven't you know talked about it yet, but um, Ryan Gosling's character Neil Armstrong is very a very internal hero. Very much so. And Ryan Gosling is already already specializes in internal heroes. Right. 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 (laughs) And. I think this is a very strong performance, but it's very, very minimalist. I, watching the movie, I almost sort of started laughing because it really felt like Neil Armstrong just went out of his way to seem uninteresting to people. <laughs> where he was just like, where people would be like, tell that story. And he's like, not really much to tell. And then his exactly. wife would be like, it was the time you did the thing. And he was like, wasn't that and it was just like okay just like Jesus Neil like yeah, you go to the moon and he's like yeah it's supposed to be called the moon like it's just so he's that way yeah. with his wife he's that way with friends like yep. it's a, he's a very closed off character but Ryan Gosling is such a great movie star that yeah. he really really makes it work yeah but I think even in a week best actor year he could be a surprise omission at the last second yeah um, just because there's nothing about it about that specific performance that people yeah. are going to latch on to specifically, unless just the love of the movie right. carries him. We need to fail. We need to fail down here so we don't fail up there. Um, I think for me, the most obvious one that I saw that I would put money on not necessarily going anywhere is The Front Runner. Uh huh. Um, which had the Ironic, same. Ironic, didn't it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so many headlines. Um, Everybody had that I spoke to about it that saw it had very, very similar reactions to me in that the best thing you can really say is it's fine and you don't really have any complaints, but then there's nothing interesting about it. Yeah. And I think even Hugh Jackman, who's playing this person who refuses to kind of give you what you want, um, I think it was interesting to cast Hugh Jackman as because he's lovable movie star people adore him and feel very affectionate towards him but even Hugh Jackman isn't really giving you any of that um I think the best chance it might have honestly is Vera Farmiga we love phone acting and she gets two phone acting scenes (laughs) um but like adapted screenplay is very crowded yeah um I just don't I don't see a case for this movie even also, like Jason Reitman has a better movie this year. Jason Reitman, <laughs> yes, because I will die on this hill. Um, Tully is incredible to the point where give Tully a screenplay nomination in his Q and A after the screening that I saw, and I was like hustling to get out of the theater to get to another screening, and he like mentioned like Tully in passing, and I turned back around and did like a <laughs> that echoed through the whole theater, and well. Also, especially if people think about Tully in relation to this movie, it's only going to make the movie look yeah. worse because all of the things that are sharp about Tully, that are funny, that are moving about Tully, they are completely missing from this movie. Yeah. Granted, he's trying to do something different, Yeah. but I think everything about it is just so muted. Yeah. What if Charlize Theron had played Jerry Hart? I've she can do whatever. Seen she it wants. twice Absolutely. at this festival. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a good point. My uh, pick for whose buzz will fade is maybe just a function of where I've been reading, but I've been seeing a lot of 
Cold War as a Best Picture contender this year. That is insane. I think it's that insane. Is insane. I yeah. don't think Cold War is a bad movie. This is the new one from Pavel Pavlikowski. Is that how mm-hmm. we're okay. um, Who did Ida, who won an Oscar for Ida. And this is a very... I respect this movie. I thought it was a very handsome movie. I at, For a time at the beginning, I was very much like, you know, hooting and hollering with everything that was happening at this little... Would we call it a, a camp? A school? A musical training academy. Musical a training academy. Yeah, long. that's... Yes. Um, we'll call it camp because we're just going to take it back to camp with Anna Kendrick. Singing <laughs> <laughs> the ladies who lunch. Yes. Um, yeah, I, but I think at some point the movie kind of... I mean, says, you know, leaves me cold is a pun I'm not comfortable with going to for this Obviously movie. You are. But... I think if you really lean into it, you could be proud of that. <laughs> I'll workshop it. I'll see what I can do. Um, yeah, turkey. I think there's just. <laughs> I went cold turkey on Cold War. Um, yeah, it's not a movie that I think is going to grab people by the emotions, and that's what Best Picture nominations are generally made of especially one where you're going to a foreign language film and a film that you know it'll get distribution but probably not a lot of it you know what i mean probably not a big wide distribution i also think that's a wild claim if people are saying cold war for best picture in the same year that roma exists right and not to be like there can only be one it's not like the highlander in best picture where like there can only be one foreign language film but but there can probably realistically only be one (laughs) very very possibly um but yeah i just think in general like if you're gonna be if you're gonna sort of come up from a lane that doesn't usually get a whole lot of best picture nominees as in you know black and white reserved uh foreign language film i think you have to have more going for you than what what cold war does i don't know i saw it with the both of you right Mm -hmm. what did you guys you guys sort of a little muted by yeah I, I'm a bigger fan than either of you. Yeah. But after, I mean, I thought the claim, I forget who, what article started the claim of yeah. the best picture contention, but like, I thought that was insane even without seeing the movie. Yeah. Just because of the one lane. Yeah. <laughs> like your, your, uh, yeah, your, your standout foreign film, like there's not going to be two. There's only so much oxygen. Right. Yeah. Um, and there's only, a, there's, yeah, and, and two black and whites, and this, and it's not as personal as Roma is. At the very least, it's going to be compared. They'll be compared one-to-one, and I feel like it's a yeah. lot easier to uh, sort of fall on the Roma side. I do think Cold War is very good, but I'm, I'm curious more about uh, your, your reaction to its Oscar buzz. Do you think the Oscar buzz for foreign film will hold? Probably. I think I think it's easier for it to... It seems like it's a legacy in that character or in that category because Ida did win. And I think it feels less of an... I mean, it's less of an outsider there, right? There yeah. it feels like it has a lot of things going for it. Former, you know, director formerly won. Um, it's about a time period that feels very kind of awards-friendly. So I think once you change the parameters on that mm. i think yeah i think it's an easy nominee for a foreign language film although i will say the one that i think has a chance to beat roma and we've talked about this around here before is shoplifters because i think that is 
that is certainly the movie that is going to move people emotionally. It's also, it was fighting for me to say that it was my favorite movie of the festival. It's up there with like five movies that are probably tied in my mind. Shoplifters is incredible. Yeah, I really, I really think that would be a threat to Roma. The people that are going to be left cold by Roma yeah. and can't access the movie or like feel like it's too precious are going to lean hard on shoplifters. So people can't be left cold by Roma because Roma doesn't have cold in the title. So they were left, <laughs> left Roma by Roma. They were left Roma by Roma. Um, I'm going to organically cut in here and say Roma was my answer to this question. You think the buzz think on Roma, Roma was going to die. Yeah. And maybe director, like I'm not, a lot could happen, but yeah. like um, I'm not even totally convinced that that it's a shoe in to be nominated for foreign film. Yeah. Um, they didn't nominate Volver. They often don't nominate people that have made things that they've gone crazy for in the past. Right. The elephant in the room remains Netflix. That's, well, we're going there. Like, you know, I think there's no way you get to make that movie without the money that maybe only Netflix has right now yes. to offer you. Um, I think it is, we've both been talking about this today on social media. I think. It's just a shame. It just is that people aren't going to see this on the big screen. Um, in general, I think that's a shame. It's the best thing going for it. It's as like ambient an environment as Children of Men or Gravity are almost. I will jump in to say that the word does seem to be that it's going to get a bigger theatrical release than even Mudbound did last year. And Mudbound got a bigger theatrical release than any Netflix movie had last year. So... I think it's going to play... I think there will be audiences who do get to see it in theaters. I'm glad there will be some. Just and, not enough. And I'm also yeah. glad more people will see it at all. Right, Because a yeah. lot of people never would have. So well, like, and that I, is the Netflix This is an story, but I mean, yeah. Bounds was so small, it never opened in Chicago. Like, yeah, so that's there's right. a lot of room for growth. And but, also, I didn't even know Mudbound opened when it did, and I live in New York. Yeah. 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 So, like, the the promotion of it, it's a very low bar for Netflix to clear to exactly. get a bigger push. But to the extent, I mean... I, you know, we all talk as that we know more than we do, but to the right. extent people talk about like, you know, the Academy members are seeing this on small screens, mm -hmm. I don't think that's gonna help Roma at all. No, and I, I think agree. a lot of what people's reservations are are reservations that keep them from nominating things for Oscars. Um, mm -hmm. down to the level that even the sound design of Roma is incredibly intricate. Yeah. And like people are gonna be watching that on their laptops. Yeah. And like, with headphones in. Um I since you brought it up, too, like, I'm one of those people that it took me a good 45 minutes to kind of settle into Roma, to kind of key into it, and I've heard Which from a couple Which does feel like other... it's by design, but still, like... Yes, yes, and once really it does. started working for me, it really did, but, yeah. like, I spoke to quite a few other people that the movie just kind of left them cold, so I think that it's going to have very, very ardent fans, but I think there's going to be a lot... You're going to see a large contingent of people that the movie doesn't work as well. They're going to have to campaign... And I really liked it, I should clarify. They're going to have to campaign yeah. hard for it. The one thing is, I think they might do that. Like, I, I yeah. think this is going to be... It's going to be on Netflix to really, like, kind of muscle their way in if they want if they want it. And To the point that they have this huge slew of product in the coming months, and I really think they're going to put all of their effort behind this movie. I agree. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, my reservation about them in, in general it, I, is, to me, such an odd fit for this movie. And I know mm -hmm. everybody's like, oh, but nobody else would. But 
you know, nobody else has the money, but in truth, he made the movie before Netflix bought it. Right. It was already made. Right. Oh, really? So okay. people yeah. saying they couldn't get funding without Netflix, they're they're not speaking the truth. For example, <laughs> me. I didn't know. And I just mentioned people talk about things that we don't And think. I mean, we should but, say, having the access for this type of movie, because there's going to be a large audience for it that, like, they can watch it when, even if it was being theatrically distributed, it would take, like, a Best Picture win for it to... For them to even have access to see it in a theater. So it's good that people will be able to see it in any format. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's it was my second favorite of, of Fest. I, like, yeah. was crazy about it. Yeah. And I, and I uh, like, like, as you said, keyed into it. I keyed into it right away. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't, you know me, I'm not even big with long movies, and I had no trouble with yeah. the running time. Um, but, it, but it is such a, like... I, I wanted we were in a big theater when we saw it and I wanted the screen to be even bigger yeah that's how how much how much atmosphere the movie's giving yes us. yeah and I also even if you like it I think because it's so slow it's such a slow burn mm-hmm. I don't think people will even finish it on yeah. Netflix that's my concern because especially the first like 15 minutes like the type of data that we know about Netflix is if the viewers at home aren't hooked immediately. Yeah. They'll yeah. turn on something else. Um, and the, the the first fifteen minutes are basically the lead silent. character. I do, just the silent. <laughs> the lead character doing chores right. around the house. I wonder what the gulf is though between people who start Roma and don't finish it, and people who never would have made an effort to see it in a theater if it were in a theater. Do you know what I mean? So it's yeah. like I do wonder if you're if there is even a net loss there, but. Mm. I mean, these are the great sort of questions everybody has about Netflix these days that we yeah. don't have great answers to right now. And yeah. If you if you don't have access to it on a big screen, do watch it on Netflix. Yes. Yeah, better a hundred percent. But but turn off your phones, turn off everything because the movie is a sensory experience, just yeah. as much as Gravity was, like Nick was saying. Yeah. Yeah. And that's hard for people to get because oh, it's a period drama. It's like, yeah. but it really is. It has like. Fellini-esque grandeur in yeah. terms of so much detail in yeah. the background. Down to the tiniest freaking thing in the frame is important that it's there. Totally. Yeah. Um, and then you have these huge grand sweeping things that have so many moving parts in a single shot and there's a lot of very long takes in this movie that you just fundamentally can't wrap your head around how they shot it. Yeah. Right? Because it's very impressive. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which um, is why I think the best director nomination is, if it gets, if it is one of these Oscar casualties, it's still going to be that, competitive in that category. That's what I've been saying to people. <laughs> I fully see a world where it's not nominated for best picture or foreign language, and Alfonso Cuarón is still nominated for best director. The new fox catcher. All right, and that is our special episode debriefing on TIFF. Um, We will just kind of like wrap things up by let's all go around and mention it can be a performance, it could be any aspect of the film that you really want to mention that we didn't get to talk about. Nick, you seem to be really excited about one. Well, just since we had so many other contenders on the on the field, I think Capernaum has the strongest claim to be of the foreign film winner of the movies that are out, which both speaks to like Capernaum, Shoplifters, Cold War, and Roma all it's a strong super likely, yeah. which is a sure sign that at least one of those is going because they yeah. always come up with some like. Yeah. Twin sisters. Like, what? <laughs> like, you know, um, Colia, Colia 2. Zeus happens. Everything. 
But like, call you two, here we go again. <laughs> Capernaum is a pretty amazing um, audiovisual experience. Also, the kid is incredible in it. It hooks you in the first minute. It's directed by a woman. Nadine um, Labaki. There's a lot to recommend. It definitely splits people, but so do most of the movies that actually go on to win the Foreign Film Oscar. Yeah. Um, and in exactly the ways that this one will. Um, so I really hope people see it. I think it's really, really good. And I also have my eye on it for that category. Nice. Nathaniel, what about you? Oh, I have so many things, and I don't have my list in front of me. So let me just say that um, uh, Border is really, really a must-see, yeah. even if you don't like it. Opening uh, that, limited around Halloween, I believe. Yeah, it's opening in yeah. In There's October. a reason for that. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> it's opening in October. It's best to go in blind, um, but it's it's Sweden's Oscar submission and not a typical submission for them. Yeah, um, it's very weird and a musty. That's all I'm gonna That's all excellent. I'm gonna say about it. Um, I think going into TIFF. You see a whole bunch of like what this year's Oscar contenders are going to be, mm-hmm. and then you see a smattering of like stuff that doesn't get open, doesn't open until next year. But it gives you a little bit of something to look forward to. I'm so much looking forward to seeing Gloria Bell again. I oh can't even God. tell you. It's this is Sebastian Lelio remaking his own uh, film, his own Chilean film that originally starred Colina Garcia. She won the Berlin Best mm-hmm. Actress Award back then. One of my favorite endings to a movie ever. It gets essentially recreated mm-hmm. in the American medium here. It got a glow I, that's yeah. what I, I mentioned that term too. Um, it's Julianne Moore. It's so fucking lovable. It's just brightened my entire day yesterday. And I am like already like looking down the road to when I can, how many people when I can, I can take, take my sister to that, when I can take my grandma to that movie. Absolutely. It is, it's going to make your day so much better. Two things I have to say about that movie. I, For me, and there are people who are going to murder me for saying this, it slightly edges out the original a little bit. And uh-huh. I think part of that is Sebastian Lelio has more movies under his belt and has kind of refined his process and his interests and how he tells them on screen. Yeah. And also, like, this one clearly has a little bit more budget, has a little bit more of a distinct visual style that yeah. I feel like enhances the mood and the emotion of the And even the sense of humor feels a little bit more, a little sharper. Yes. Um, Um, And the other thing is, like, listeners, Joe and I, you know we don't live in the same city, but, like, I've always, like, when, like, Mamma Mia comes out and all of these fun movies to, like, see with your friends, I'm like, I wish I was seeing this movie with you! And I feel like we actually got to have have that with Gloria Bell. We about, like, leapt out of our chairs at the end of the movie, and there were music cues that I was... I fully screamed on. Yeah. That's if, like what we did at Donbass. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> the Ukrainian. When, when, let me tell you, when that wedding happened, Nick you know, and I were dancing and you're like, oh! Yeah. Totally. I just love our, our reaction to Gloria Bell because I'm just envisioning, because we were like a row behind Jeff Wells and like, if we, if we ever see like a crabby post about like two homos behind him making a ruckus at Gloria Bell. I'm going to be like, this was These me. two homos. Yeah. Um, <laughs> What is your what is your last Jeff Wells? Chris? Okay, I'm gonna say two because I missed this when we talked about a star is born. But guys, the dogs and cats of the movies of this festival, you listeners are not ready for the star is born dog. There's also a dog in Widows that is wonderful. My vision is that they are best friends and then they talk shit about like their leading ladies behind the scenes. Um, Where's the Roma dog? 
And the Roma all, dogs. All the Roma, Roma dogs. dogs the several good boys of Roma. Um, but we're not talking about the room with the with the with decor. all the dog shit in it. Um, no, the other thing that I want to talk about that is like not anywhere near Oscar buzz, like the weird movie that I was like, I shouldn't be excited for this, but I'm excited for this. And then like I got exactly what I was expecting. The film climax. I want to talk about Sofia Butella in that movie. She's like the only real standout of this dance crew. She plays the choreographer. And she gets an extended... Gaspar Noe loves long takes that are very shocking and do, like, really absurd Hieronymus Bosch, like, descents into violence and awfulness. But this is a dance movie. And when she gets her big moment, it's this fully insane... She is feeling herself. (laughs) It's like... Isabella Johnny in Possession where you see all those gifs where she's flailing around in the movie. It is very that but hornier. Nice. And like actual ballet. <laughs> so I just wanted to mention her in that movie because... When does that open? Um, I don't think it has a date yet but it's coming from May 24 sometime this year. Um, so it will be this year. Uh, it's apparently it will be this year. Mm. It is not going to be everyone's cup of tea. I'm not even sure it was my cup of tea outside of the dancing. Yeah. But like, it was just a performance that nobody is ever going to... You're selling me on this movie better than I think a lot of other reviews of this movie uh, have sold well, me. So. so if you have the opportunity and you live in the right place to see Gloria Bell in Climax as a double as a feature, double feature. <laughs> as a double feature <laughs> it might be a little strange. You can like, start with a dance and end with a dance. Yeah, yeah there's just... dancing in Gloria Bell that is also wonderful if yeah. less... Um, I mean, it's crazy, but Listen, it's not like... There's also dancing in Out of Blue, is all I'm going to say. Patricia Clarkson gets up Does on a stripper stage. Does she dance with her bagel? No, she dances on a stripper stage, like, drunkenly, sort of like... It's a little bit like Naomi Watts when she's depressed in I Heart Huckabees and she's doing the little, like, <laughs> shopping bag sort of head droopy dance. That's the best I can describe Patricia Clarkson dancing in this movie. You don't understand so disappointed <laughs> That means something different. No, but I just wanted to bring up Sofia Butello because it's yeah. the type of performance that... No nobody ever mentions as being great and like what she is tasked with doing is out of this world all right that's excellent uh and that is our episode thank you again to nick and nathaniel same time next year you guys thank you we're gonna do it we're gonna be back if you want more this had oscar buzz you can check out the tumblr at this had oscar buzz.tumblr.com you should also follow our twitter account at had underscore oscar underscore buzz nick where can the listeners find you and your writings on film I'm not supposed to give out Barry's address <laughs> <laughs> domain, but um, you can go to nick-davis.com or my Twitter, which is uh, at nicksflickpics, all season cake. Nathaniel, what about you? And I'm at thefilmexperience.net, and uh, my Twitter is Nathaniel R. Chris? Um, you can find me under my benevolent, uh, my benevolent overlord Nathaniel at the Film Experience. I write about soundtracks, Oscar ephemera, all of that good stuff. I'm also on Twitter at Chris V. File. That's F-E-I-L. And of course, you can always find me here on this podcast. That's right, if, if nothing else. You can find me every day at Decider.com talking about film and TV and everything that is on streaming. I'm also on Twitter at Joe Reed, spelled R-E-I-D. We would like to thank Kyle Cummings for his fantastic artwork and Dave Gonzalez and Gavin Nevius for their technical guidance. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, or wherever else you get podcasts. A five-star review really helps us out with iTunes visibility, so we do ask that you make like Chris Pine's penis in Outlaw King and show up for us when we least expect it. 
That is all for this week, but we hope you'll be back next week for more buzz. Bye.